Did I ever tell you that I, I on occasion go to church on Saturday? You have mentioned that. I've even seen you at my church. Yeah, I, I have been at your church. From high atop the Rocky Mountains, it's the Barbarian Prophet. Welcome back, Barbarian Nation. I've got a good friend of mine in studio today by the name of Stan the Man. And uh, he is a guy that goes into the county jail with me on more than one occasion. And Stan and I were talking and I asked if he would have a problem at all uh, with coming onto the show. And he said, no, I listen to your show all the time. I'm one of your biggest fans. Long time listener, first time caller. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there it is. Long time listener, first time caller. I just want to say ditto. <laughs> So, Stan, where you where were you born at? Where where did you come from? I was born in Brookings, Oregon, which is on the coast, about twelve miles from California. Wow, you just escaped California by twelve miles. Yeah, I do miss the coast, but the Oregon politics, I'm not sure I miss. Yeah, I bet, I bet not. So, uh, at what age did you come out here to Wyoming? We moved to Casper when I was in the first grade. Um, so. Seven, eight, I think it was. Nice. Okay. And actually, so, nine. It was 91. I was born in 82. Yeah. Now, what did your dad do for a living? Wasn't he a pastor? He was. He was the pastor of Seventh-day Seventh Day Adventist Church. Okay. So you were raised in SDA. I was. And um, so tell us a little bit about the Seventh Day Adventist. So the Seventh Day Adventist. And, I, and I, we will not hold you to being the spokesman for the Seventh Day Adventist Church. <laughs> the Seventh Day Adventist Church um, started in the mid 1800s. Um, they they got together. The Millerite movement is what they grew out of. The Millerite movement thought God was coming back in 1844. Okay. Um, which was the end of the uh, 2300 day prophecy in the Bible. Okay. Um. The prophecy, they had the date right for ending, but it wasn't the second coming was not the event that it foretold. Yeah. Did they call that the great disappointment? They did. Okay. And then this is birthed out of that because everybody was together. Everyone was together and they they had all came out of different churches. A big group of them came out of the Methodist. Yeah. And, um, but they were, they said, well, a lot of the beliefs we believed in our old churches don't fit with where we are now. So they opened up the scriptures and said, what is true? Where, where do we need to stand? What, where we want to see Jesus coming. We want to see the second advent. Right. And so that's where the advent part comes from. And then the seventh day, they saw most churches were worshiping on Sunday where the Bible in the fourth commandment says the seventh day is the Lord is the Sabbath of the Lord, your God. Yeah. And also, but that's not even where we get that from. You actually have to go back to creation <coughs> is where the seventh day comes from also. But we've had that discussion lots of times. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and the, it that's found in chapter two of Genesis. So, yeah. And uh, so you uh, were raised in the SDA. And then uh, as you got older, you uh, decided to become a uh, Seventh-day Adventist Seventh-day Adventist pastor yourself at about 15. Um, no. <laughs> I know. I just, I'm trying to bait you a little bit here. So what, tell us about what happened with you then. Well, so I I was raised in the Adventist church. I went to the Adventist schools all the way through. I um, went to Adventist boarding school down in Colorado. And 
I always I would hear I would hear the call porters, the book salesmen that went out and get up and tell these awesome testimonies, and I'd sit back and I'd be like, "Man, I want a testimony to tell." And I, you know, life happened, and I started doing my own thing, and I I found myself drifting further and further away from the church. And I went and earned a testimony, and I really wish that my testimony was that I didn't that my I've always been in the church and I never left. That is a strong testimony, and you know the funny thing is when when uh, they had me come in and speak my testimony, people are always like, "Man, I wish I had testimony." I'm like, "You do have one. Christ has rescued you the same as He rescued anybody." So uh, let's talk. When you started getting into a little bit of trouble when you were a teenager, is that correct? Um, no, I I was actually pretty good till about my early twenties. And then what? Then what happened? Well, I started living in the world, and I went down roads. I was, you know, worrying more about partying than going to church, and I just I kept going down that road, and um. Back in would have been 2008 is when I really turned off the rails and the oil field kind of took a downfall then and I found myself unemployed and I said, well, let's let's look for extracurricular financing. Well, uh, so I assume that from there on out, you went out uh, crushing beer cans and a few things like that to make a little extra money. Um. I don't think it was beer cans that I was crushing. It was it was more um, selling other things that people could crush. <laughs> All right. So you became a drug dealer. I did. All right. So uh, what did that end up looking like? Well, that ended up looking like my a good friend of mine um, robbed my house because he was pretty bad into things as well. And... When I found out it was him, I went over to his house and beat the hell out of him and told him that if he if he didn't return my stuff that I was going to come back later that night and end him. Um and I had every intention of it and I'm I'm glad that's not what the end result was. Excellent. So then did you end up getting arrested out of this or no? I actually did. Um, He was able to crawl himself to the police station and the police came after me and they knew they had an idea what I was involved in. And I understand that I had one of the first shoot on site arrest warrants that Wyoming had issued in quite a while. Probably since me. Probably. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I had a SWAT team come get me. I get it. I know right where you're at, man. So uh, then they, you end up in the county jail here. Well, kind of. Um, or or where, tell me, tell me where where do we go from there? You got arrested here in Natrona County, is that I right? I did. Okay, and then then how did that end up playing out? Well, that ended up playing out that I played my parents and got them to put up bail money, and I got out. And I started, you know, I tried to be good for a little while and try to lay low and get my charges taken care of. And I instead started trying to make more money so I could help get a friend out of jail and ended up going back and forth between Denver for heroin. 
Okay, and then? Well, I... November 21st of 2009, I was in Denver, and I had had the easiest drug deal I'd ever had. Thankfully, I didn't have heroin that time. I had ecstasy and weed. And I should have known something was wrong because the deal went way too easy. <laughs> yeah, when federal agents are involved, there are <laughs> things become easy. So so let me ask you this, man. Were you a believer during the midst of all of that? That's That's a hard question to answer because I knew God was real. But at this point in my life, I had just decided to be all in, in that life. I had no, I didn't, I wasn't riding a fence anymore. I had decided if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it all the way. And so, yes, I believed in him, but no, I had no use for him at this point. Okay. All right. And then, then, uh... Then, then where do we go? Okay, so you've got you've got an arrest. You're arrested a second time. I am, and I have you been, and you're still in trouble from the first time. I am on bond right now in Wyoming for charges that equal almost a hundred years in prison. Okay, uh, so what are what? Are, how many felonies does it take to get a hundred years? I they had four on me at the time. So that's twenty five years. A so. Here's just for a everybody so you know, in the state of Wyoming, <clears throat> when they say life, they can actually mean the big L-I-F-E, the way you never get out. And we want you to know that. Because it's important the more you know. All right, go on, go on, I'm listening. So, when I get arrested in Denver, I, I had enough ecstasy that they could have... Chart, they should have charged me with manslaughter charges, multiple. Mm-hmm. And I knew I was going to the pen for a bit, and maybe I should have been scared, but instead I was actually looking forward to it because I knew that I would get the connections and the knowledge to succeed in that life. Right. And I, I'm sitting in my jail cell, and, you know, I'm— planning my next move and that is as soon as i get through this jail and into the pen hook up with whoever i need to hook up with i figured the aryan brotherhood would be my easiest in i i kind of have the look right and i had no love for the colored people at the time right you had a little little string of racism going on oh i absolutely did but uh your your end deal was you wanted to get into the prison in order to start making better connections that was your key thing oh absolutely so as you're going through that let me ask you real quick with um where are your parents sitting with all of this at that point um well my dad comes and visits me and tells me that he has prostate cancer and i'm wondering if i'm ever going to see him outside of jail again and how did you deal with that? Poorly or? It was a bit of an eye-opener. I bet it was. Um, and you were down in Colorado at this correct. point. You know, my, my parents lived in southern Colorado. And when they heard I was arrested, they got in the car and drove to Denver. Mm-hmm. And, you know, throughout, no matter what I did... They were always praying for me and hoping for better. 
Right. And they were always there to help me. Right. Um, you know, I, not to jump too far ahead in the story, but even at one point they, they actually talked about trying to bail me out in Denver, at which point I said, I'm absolute, I said, absolutely not. I need to be here. Right. Right. So you were, you were starting to recognize some things about yourself at this point. I was, but and I'm, it, I'm know, getting it, ahead of the, in ahead of the story there. All right. All right. Too, right. So. Let's, let's back up and, and hit the rest of the story. Then. What was that? I'm not sure. Did I kick something? I don't know. Keep rolling. Keep rolling. Cameras are still on. <laughs> so I'm sitting in my jail cell waiting for what's going to happen. And, you know, looking back, it was a fairly short time frame, but I don't take it light. Don't take it lightly when I said I was committed to going the whole way. Right. God put a cellmate in with me that was a heroin junkie from Walla Walla, Washington. What a great name. That was actually an Adventist or grew up Adventist as well. Really? Really. So I always have a connection to the West Coast. So God gave me someone that grew up Adventist from the West Coast that was not really ministering to me, but he's the one that found a pamphlet that was the book of John and Ah, the old book of John. I had read the book of John. I knew the stories in there. I'm sure growing up with a pastor for a dad, you did. And I, I started reading it for, you know, like the back of a shampoo bottle. When, when you're coming in, you, you just are trying to find anything to occupy your mind. And that's all I was looking for. I didn't want anything from it. And I can't say which chapter it was, but at some point it grabbed my heart and wouldn't let go. Okay. And then God sent a black man named Lazarus that was going to another part of the jail. And he was outside my cell and he said, I can see the Lord working on you. Can I pray with you? Right. And we prayed through the jail cell and then he went on to his way and, I didn't think I'd see him again. Right. And this is Denver City Jail. So this has only been in a few days at this point. And, and that, that's a big jail. Oh, Denver City, Denver County is larger than Wyoming Penn. Yeah, yeah, that's very true. Denver City Jail With one is, light bulb. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, sorry, that's, uh, um, if you've been in jail, that, that would be funny to you. <laughs> Moving on. So when when I get transferred to county... You know, they, they transfer, you know, I think there were three big Greyhound buses that they loaded the people from going from city to county on to transport. And I just so happened to be being transported on the same day as Lazarus. Um, he actually got the name Lazarus from living in the gangsta, gang life in, he was a gangster's, gangster's disciple in Denver. And he had been shot multiple times and lived and that he took that name after he kind of, he pulled away from him and started following God. Excellent. All right. And then? Well, we, we just so happen to be put in the same pod in Denver County Jail, which I I say happen in air quotes. Right, right, right. Yeah, I, I I tell you, I've seen God do some amazing things with people when he's like, okay, I've got these two latched up, that's going to work, and they, he starts putting them together. I had I had a buddy of mine, that's no joke, and I, I'm not trying to rob any of your story. 
but he had been praying here in in or in uh, the prison here in Rollins, and about a friend of ours in Texas, and they transferred him to Texas, and he, they walked him right into the jail cell with the guy we'd been praying about. So uh, God does things like this. That's all I'm doing is backing your story. It yeah. is what God does. Oh, absolutely, and it's you know a, a jail with I'm I'm thinking there's three to four thousand people in the Denver County Jail, and I get put in the same area with sixty guys with this man. What's like without God? What's the likelihood of that happening? I'm not doing the math. I'm terrible at math. So you so know, I'll just say it's high. Yeah, that right. High non probability without God. So we. We actually spend most of the time studying the Bible while I'm in there. And I always trying to find a way to make a buck. I ended up running a little store in there trying to stretch my income through for the time I was there. Did you read my book on how to be in jail before you went to jail? Is that what was going on with you? No, I was just a bit of an entrepreneur. <laughs> You know, I, I was trying to do the drug deal Dave Ramsey's way. Yeah, well, I get it. And, you know, not only that is when they ain't got any drugs, their next thing is chocolate. Just kicking that out there. <laughs> so um, the so with that, I ended up, there was a, a young man that ended up owing me uh, a few ramens and some other things. Yeah, it's seriously money, man. Yeah, that, that, that's the currency yeah, there. That's currency. That's like gold. And he basically told me to kick rocks. That gets your loose teeth. Well, I was really trying not to lose my cool. I, I, I'm a bit of a redhead, and you know, Stanley Steamer is a name that I've been called before. Right, right, right. We always, we, this is another one of those things. If you're going to broker a deal, pay close attention. The more you know. So I end up, I, I keep trying to avoid him because I know it's going to go bad. And I'm trying to figure out how to make this happen. Right. And not end up getting in a fight or yep. going down. Cause I can't, I can't just let it go. Right. And he keeps pushing me. He keeps getting in my face and he's around me and I end up throwing out. I I can't say why I said it. Well, I know why I said it. Mm-hmm. I didn't mean to say it. I could, still can't believe I said it, but I said when a blank don't pay. Right. I, I don't think I want to actually say the word. No, right please now. don't. Uh, that can get us kicked off of some platforms. I'm sure right, you guys right. can figure out what that blank yeah. stands for. Right. And, you know, Denver County Jail is 80% black, mm-hmm. 15% Mexican, and 5% white, I, roughly. Yeah, and you were way out of your league here. Oh, absolutely. You know, I I should have been killed for that statement, honestly. Right. And, you know, thankfully, my bunkmate was the shot caller for the Mexicans, yeah. and... My other friend that had, you know, prayed with me and we'd study and he was pretty high up with the blacks. And so right. I think that's what kept me alive other than, well, God as well. Right. Um, but the next day they were, all my 
backup, I guess you could say, right. ended up having court. So then you're there all alone. I was there by myself. And thankfully, the kid I had said it to was actually at court as well. And so quite a few of the people in the pod came to me and they kept asking, you know, dude, so you seriously said this? And I'm like, man, I am sorry. I, you know, the kid was pushing me. I was trying, you know, I was trying not to. And I let it slip. I am so sorry. I apologize. I, you know, trying to make amends because that wasn't right to say, even if, the, right. even if the kid was being bad, a, a bad person or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And he came back from court and he had a bad day in court. And so he was mad. And so he went and started stirring up problems. And next thing I know, I've got a group of guys around me saying, okay, you have two choices. You can go back in the bathroom and we'll kill you right now. Or you can come into, you know, or we can catch you in the bathroom and kill you. Those are your choices. Well, I didn't really like either one of those, so I said, well, let's do option three, and I started the fight right there in front of the guard. Right. And, you know, ended up going, to getting my nose stitched up, got it split open pretty good, and good times. And they get, in the hole. get you a little hole time. That, oh, it that, did. It gets time for things to cool down sometimes. It did. So while you were in the hole? Well, while I was in the hole, it gave me a lot more time to study and read. Mm-hmm. It was actually a great time. But... It was one of those like, God, you know, I was in a place, I was in a good place and I screwed it up. Why, why'd you let me screw it up? You know, and I Mm -hmm. remember reading James, you know, the man, man can tame every beast except the, except the tongue. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, but I, I remembered while I was there, I, I decided that no matter where I am, I am going to continue trying to lead and study, and I found other people I ministered to while I was in the hole. And you know, I had a book that I was reading um, at the time. It, it's called the Messiah. It's it's talking about Jesus and how he came to Earth. Um, I believe Jerry Thomas is the author of that. I hope that's right. <laughs> if not, we'll be okay. All right. But I remember as I was reading it. Like so much of it was hitting home. And so I started underlining. No, you don't have highlighters in jail. So underlining right. with my little short pencil. Yeah, your very short pencil with no eraser. <laughs> so I, I still use short pencils just for the sake of feeling that feeling. Go ahead. I'm just kidding. Building but a crutch. I, I remember looking at it and I'm like, well, I highlighted the last three pages entirely. So I had to remember to slow down my highlighting and only highlight the really important things. But, you know, that that book meant so much to me. And I remember finding someone in there that I gave it to. And it, as much as it hurt, it let it opened me up for other areas that, you know, I have given away at least three Bibles at this point to people that needed them. Um. So I'm jumping around with my story bad this time. No, you're okay. So let me ask you real quick. So your mom and dad are aware you're in there. You, uh, they're put obviously putting money on your books and nope. making sure. No, they didn't put any money on the books. The only money I had on the books was the money I went into jail with. Okay. So then when we, uh, you start working with these others. So where are you standing in your belief at this point? I am standing in my belief that. I I am trying to come back to know who God is. Mm-hmm. 
And I remember I'm reading through Romans at one point. Right. And it keeps talking about faith. And I have no faith whatsoever. Okay. And I'm in Romans 10, and it's ended up becoming my favorite chapter. And I've read the chapter multiple times, and I cannot comprehend what I'm reading. And I remember closing my eyes and just saying a prayer to the to God, saying, Lord, I need I need faith. I don't know what what to do. And I open my eyes and it's verse uh, Romans ten, verse seventeen. So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. You know, so it was just like and it's the the verse just popped out of the page at me and just like grew huge. Like I could see nothing else but that, and it's like, okay, so I, I I get it, Lord. I just need to keep doing what I'm doing, keep burying myself in your word, and the faith will come. Um, you know, I remember another part that I really struggled with at that time, and it says, If you love your father more than me, you are not worthy. Right. And I couldn't comprehend that. Because, you know, as much as a screw-up as I was, my dad was always there saying, you know what, I'm not happy with what you did, but I still love you and I'm still praying for you. He's kind of reflecting Jesus there in those moments, being the father, uh, and reacted like, Father, I have one of those too, so I get it. It's just, it was really hard. (laughs) It was really hard to say, how can I love anyone that I haven't met face to face as much as I love this man. And I, I don't know that I can still answer that question a hundred percent, but I can tell you that the reason he was able to be that is because he had his own relationship with God. Right. Absolutely. And, and, uh, that is the only way we can get through in dealing with some of the people that we struggle with is by our relationship with Christ. So, I I go through the court system in Denver, and somehow, instead of prison time, they give me two years of probation. And they let me go, and they were supposed to transport me to back to Wyoming to face my charges here. Instead, at about 10 o'clock, they kick me out the door and say, good luck. And this is mid-February. And I'm in Denver with... No phone, no money, no coat. Right. <laughs> they right. Gave, they gave me two bus tokens and said, "Good luck." Yeah they they didn't want to drag you back to Wyoming because that cost them money. So I'm I'm like, okay, what do I do? And so I I get on the bus and I'm like, is there a Walmart close? Because I know they're open twenty four seven and it's warm. <laughs> and so I go I get there and then I'm able to get a hold of some people that get a hold of my parents and found someone that brought me back up to Den- to Casper, and I I got to go to Olive Garden the night before I went and turned myself in. So within, tw- I think it was 23 hours from when I got released from Denver, I was back in jail in Casper. Nice. Okay. So there you are in Casper, Natrona County Detention Center. You know, and the, the sergeant that just retired, um, was it sergeant? No, maybe not. Um. He was the head of the chaplaincy. Program. Oh, you mean oh, you mean Lieutenant Clapp. Lieutenant Clapp Lieutenant was the one Clapp, that actually yeah. took me back when I turned myself in to, into the jail. Okay. 
I, I thought it was interesting to run back into him. Thankfully, I was not memorable enough for him to remember me. Yeah, that's good. They all remembered me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so anyway, go on. So you they take you back inside. So I'm I come in here and I I was very nervous about coming back to Natrona County Jail. Um because I knew it was easy. There in Denver because of the realms of it, I had to be on my best behavior. And it kept me in the word. I knew coming back to Natrona County, I could do whatever I wanted and get away with it. Um, I knew that it was comfortable. Right. Which is weird to say about jail. But no, no. It's it's one of those where you can get in a routine and you can figure out where you belong in there and stay and you'll be fine. Oh, yeah. And, you know, th- this was home turf. You know, there was a lot. <laughs> there, there was a gentleman that I used to run with. He went by Nightmare. That, you know, that had a pretty good rep. Well, when you walk in the pod and he goes and says, don't mess with that guy. He's crazy. It, That's always beneficial. Oh, absolutely. You know, so I had, I could do whatever I need. You know, it there was no danger, really. But I remember because of that, I doubled down and I knew that instead of being ministered to, this was an opportunity for me to minister to my cellmates. Right. And it. It was, it was kind of a halfway house for me for going back to the street. Right. And so, um, now what year did you come back in there? That would have been 2010. Okay. And then how did that end up shaking out? I mean, well, cause you were, you were in the back pods or the front pods. I, I was, I can't remember right now. I was under, I was 19 hours. No, I was 19 hours out. You're no. not. You were remember. nineteen. La, you're uh, nineteen and five. No, that's where I started. But then they moved me over to a. Um, I think it was twelve and twelve. Like they only locked us down for meals and at night. Oh yeah, that was you. You were in a. Yeah, I got. I, I got say G. But yeah, I don't yeah, know. yeah. You may. You I, may have been. That these guys don't know what we're talking about. Yeah. That's just you and me talking. It, it, it's so sad anyway, that I never rem- well, maybe it's good that I don't remember where I was at. So and then, yeah, uh, I do I, remember you coming to Bible study. I did. I, in my first few weeks there, they called Bible study, and I come in there, and I have been reading and studying, and I got a lot of questions. And this big old dude comes in that, you know, I start, and I, I, I'm pretty sure I dominated that less that first session I had with you. Yeah, I probably was just like, whatever you need to say, dude, do it. Well, I kept asking questions, and I I realized as I went back that I have I, I needed to learn to shut up and let other people talk, but it is what it is. Yeah, we're all good. Moving on. <laughs> so then. So before I got arrested in Denver, I had a, well, one, my pastor came in to see me, and he told me, you're not getting out of this without God. And I had... This was Shane, wasn't it? No, no this, this was, was Pastor a... Treat. Oh, okay, okay. Um, Shane didn't come, move to Casper until... Till after. After, yeah. Long after, actually. Gotcha, gotcha. I remember that now. Um, But, you know, so before I got arrested in Denver, I had a plea deal on the table for four years of probation. And somehow, after collecting new charges in Colorado, they still gave me four years of probation. You know, there, I, I, 
you know, they were trying to hit me for aggravated assault, armed robbery, and conspiracy for both, and pled it out to property destruction of more than $1,000, which irritating part about that, that was because I destroyed a pool table I'd given the guy. But right. Moving hold. on, though. <laughs> and then uh, and then where did they... Uh, so you're on probation with everybody at this point. Yep. You didn't end up with any uh, long-term felonies, right? Well, I actually have you, to... You felonies. I, you do I, have felonies. Yeah. But, I mean, you did not have to go serve time I on I did that. not serve time on anything. Um, I still don't understand how I, sh- how I didn't. I feel i probably should have yeah yeah no i Um, I get that part so then what happened yeah because most of the time when you capture a felony you're at least getting shipped off for certain things anyway so um you get back out on the uh, what else happened at Natrona county anything else significant not really um i just you know i did my time i ended up you know um i tried to run bible studies and and just Prepared myself to get out. And so I get out on the street. Uh, I want to say I was finally released in April or May. Um, So fast forward a few months. November 21st of 2010. No, 2011, sorry. November 21st of 2011. 10 is when I get arrested in Denver. November 2... I'm messing those up. It was 9 and then 10. So, sorry, November 21st of 10, I'm helping my brother-in-law get hay. And I have my dog in the back of my truck, and we got a gooseneck trailer behind us. And he slips off the side and gets ran over. Your brother? No, my dog. Okay. So well, we get need to make sure okay, who got ran sorry. over here. Um, and this is a dog that I had had before I went to jail and friends had kept him and he was my best friend. I get it. He, you know, and uh, he gets ran over and, you know, I've only been out of jail a few months at this point. I barely have two pennies to rub together. I rush him to the vet to see what they can do. And they're like, <laughs> Uh, we need like a thousand bucks to do anything. Right. And I'm like, um, crap, what am I going to do? And I'm on intensive supervised probation at the time. And I remember driving home and I, I went by Eastgate travel plaza and my probation officer had been at my house the night before. And so I knew she wouldn't be out or I strongly suspected she wouldn't be out again that night. And I, as I'm pulling up to that, I want to just go buy a bottle of Jack and forget the night. And I remember going past because I wasn't going to waste money on alcohol when I couldn't save my friend. I wasn't going to waste the money for him on alcohol. Right, right. Shortly after that, a friend of mine texted me and said, hey, you want to go to an AA meeting? And I said, that sounds like a really good place for me right now. So have to call my probation officer because intensive supervised probation. Right. You have, you, to, you have to stick to a schedule. Right. So you went to an AA so meeting. So I go to an AA meeting. While I'm there, my sister starts getting on the phone and talking to people, trying to collect money to help me save my dog. So the next morning I go into the vet hat in hand, quite literally, saying, you know, this is what's going on. Will you be willing to help? And they said, well, we don't usually do this. 
but some some this feels right. We'll go ahead and do the surgery. When you pick them up on Wednesday, we'd like you to have about half of it, so about seven hundred bucks, and then you can pick them up. And so this is Monday morning, and I I remember stepping out those few days. So it would have been Sunday, Monday, and or Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. So basically a three-day period, which I, that's something I need to study out because there's a lot of three-day trials in the Bible, I've noticed. And yeah, there definitely is that. So then did you end up with enough money? i got to hear this part. Well, Tuesday night, well, Tuesday morning, let me go there, there was about $350 pledged. You know, that's still a long ways from the 700 we need. Right. And so Tuesday night when I go, when I get home, my sister hands me an envelope and she won't tell me how much is in it. She's like, go ahead and count it. Cause I'm picking them up at noon the next day. And there's $705 in there. And I'm like, God, thank you. You gave me what, what was needed. Right. And God's sitting back laughing at me at this point. And he's like, I'm not done yet. By the time I picked him up at noon on the next day, I put down $1,040 on his bill. Nice. I I got up in front of church just to thank everyone the next Sabbath and said, you know, just thank you guys. I can't believe you've done, you've come through like this. You know, it, I was a screw up. There's no reason they should have been willing to help me, but they did. And... They, you know, even after that, a few people came out, oh, we didn't know this was going on. Here's some more to help with it. And out of a $1,700 vet bill, when it was all said and done, I had to come up with just under under $400 worth, which looking back was all I could manage. Right, right. And God covered the rest and said, I got you. And, you know, Blitz, my dog, became... My Goliath sword. And just quick story on that for those of you that don't know what I'm talking about. When David is in a dark place fleeing from Saul, he ends up at the tabernacle. And he asks the priest, do you have any weapons here? And they say, the only weapon we have is the sword that you use to kill Goliath. And there is none like it. Or David says there's none like it. You know, so at a point when David didn't know what to do, he ran to God and God pointed at him a trophy from when God had had his back before. Absolutely. That's a great story. That's a great analogy there between those two things. So God is telling you that dog is going to be the thing where I helped you and I want you to remember that I'm here for you in the simplest of things. And so he became my Goliath sword. It it was very hard when I lost him a few years ago. <laughs> I bet. So how was your relationship working with your dad at this point, your mom and dad? Um, They were still in southern Colorado when I was back here in Casper, but it was pretty good. And, you know, I, I wish I could say that after I came to God, everything was peaches and rainbows, but, you know, not That's quite. not the way it works, but thanks. Um, you know, so... In that, in those first few months of being out of jail, there's so many things that happen. Um, 
I remember I, I had qualified for unemployment and I had been using the benefits while dealing before I went to jail. And then when I got out, I still had a few left. So I signed up to get me back trying to move again. And I, you know, the, I, I was a machinist for many years and I was pretty good at it, but the oil field was still not moving and there weren't a lot of places that were wanting to hire. And I remember looking at that, you know, cause you get a statement that says you have so many weeks left. And I remember I was down to less than a week left of pay and I did not know what was going to happen. I have been applying at 20 places a week because probation's requiring me to. And right. I couldn't get a job. And there was one place I stopped in at that they, they, as soon as I stopped in, I knew one of the guys working there. I'd worked with them at another shop, but they, they did, oh, we aren't hiring anyone. We don't, you know, so I didn't even leave a resume or anything. And I left and I went over, you know, and so that was a few. And then a few weeks later, I was in at another shop where I had used to work. And the the owner was, you know, I, I knew he, I knew that he would probably give me a job, but I also knew that it was not a healthy place for me to be. Um, you know, the beer broke out at about three o'clock every Friday. Um, other things also with the beer. You know, right. And so it was not, it, I, it, it was know, not it, a hell. It, it, it was, was my last resort. Right. And when I finally decided, okay, God, you have given me nothing else. I have to take this one. God was like, really? You, ha- you have little faith. So I stop in to ask him for a job and he's like, oh, Hey, this guy was asking about you. They want to hire you. Seriously. <laughs> so I go down to this other shop and they hire me in the first day, you know, the, the two guys out in the shop with me, they're playing the Christian radio and they're all talking about Jesus. And I'm like, where could I have landed better than here? Absolutely. So, so then, so you're latched into this job and you've got all of these things happening and how long, when, when did you get off probation? Um, about four years after this. Okay. And then, so when once you get shifted out of there with, uh, off of probation, at what point, now, what do you, what did you start doing with ministry at this point in your life? Nothing really. Eh, you work with the kids. I've watched you. You've done several little things along the way. So you may not see those as a big deal, but the kids see them as big deals. I, for those, for those years, I was, <laughs> Definitely not doing as much ministry as I probably could have, but I was building my life back. Right. You're Um, definitely surviving and staying out of trouble and staying out of the old lifestyle, right? Absolutely. In the next year, I ended up meeting my wife, got married in 12, um, adopted my son, her, you know, she, her biological, my, you have a son. Yeah. His name is Zeke. Absolutely. And he is awesome. Adopted nothing. You're his dad. Oh, absolutely. That's your kid. <laughs> that is that's but, the way that one works. Know, but at, at the end of the day, so at, where did you? Where are you at with your ministry now? Oh, well, now I go, 
my main ministry right now is going into jail. Um, but to back up from that in, so I found myself at different shops, um, found myself working at a machine shop that was supposed to have been the end all premium, giving me everything I wanted. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as you can imagine, those kind of deals don't always work out as we'd hoped. Hardly ever. Um, and you know, so we're, we're 2000. 15 at this point i believe mm-hmm. and i'm i'm actually i'm off probation um been off for about a year at this point and i am trying to get a job some anywhere else and nothing you know it, it was an odd feeling because most of my career i could walk into any shop i wanted and say hey i want this much money and they'd be like okay and, you know, because the downturn, there was a few machinists like that, that. I'm sure there was. That couldn't do that. And so I'm, and I am miserable. I have, you know, we went from required overtime to no overtime, which was about a 40% cut in my paycheck. And we had set some money aside that we were going to go on a vacation. We we're going to go out to Oregon. And that money ended up getting spent on petty things like bills yeah, silly, silly gas bill, etc. So, I see you're digging out a book. I need to get you there because I I've well, got 15 minutes left okay. in my show. That's why I'm, right. that's why I'm pushing me, you along. Let me here. finish this story because this is important. Okay, I'm ready. Um, so at the same time in the shop, they are requiring that I start wearing hearing protection, which is probably a good thing. But as a manual machinist, you know, you learn, you listen to the machine. So with that, and I start listening. As a former safety guy, you need to wear your hearing protection. Oh, absolutely. So I ended up um, streaming usually KBPI out of Denver. Um, There was a song by Five Finger that struck me very hard, and it's called Jekyll and Hyde. There's so much anger inside. Oh, there's a demon inside. Um, That was my my go-to song at the time. And this is after jail. This is when I should be living my best life, doing everything right. And Yeah, we always have that tendency to think, well, now that I'm saved, everything is going to be hunky and dory, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, I, I had the time off, but I couldn't go anywhere because I had no money. And mm. a friend called me up and said, hey, you know, if if you do this job on my truck, I'll pay for your campsite for our camp meeting on the mountain. And I'm like, well, I have the time off, and I guess that's not going to cost me anything, so let's do it. So I he paid for my camping spot, and while they were there, they one of the technical get difficulties pushed for um, Audioverse, audioverse.org, if you, anyone wants to look it up. And there are a bunch of sermons that you can listen to. And so instead of listening to KBPI, I started listening to the sermons to, you know, or podcasts basically that changed my life. And it, I remember at one point I'm running the lathe and I'm like, you know what, Lord, you need to, I'm, I want something different. I'm actually trying to take a, um, to get a van that, um, La Vida mission. It's where, um, down in New Mexico, 
how do I get it there? And I remember going around back of the shop and praying, you know, and Lord, you know, I've been trying to figure out how to make this happen and nothing is working. You know, I, I measured the back door of the van to see if there's any way I could put my bike in there so that I could drive the van down and ride my bike back. What, you know, what can I do? And, you know, optimally I wanted a car dolly to do it, but you know, there's no money. I barely had the money to get the van there and get back. And so after I did that, I got the, Hey, why don't you go talk to this guy? And this guy actually had loaned me a trailer when I got arrested in Denver and had to figure out a way to get it back from Denver after I was sitting in jail. So there's no reason he should have been willing to loan me anything. It sounds like you're just such a trustworthy person that he would have went out of his way or maybe not. So I stopped by and I'm like, and I, I just ask him and he's like, well, I don't, but my brother does. Let me make a phone call. So he gets me a car dolly so I can tow my van down there and drive it with, with the van that we're taking to the mission and bring it back. Nice. And, you know, and so it end up, it ends up being that a few months later, I, hmm, I don't want to say this, voluntarily got fired from my machinist job. Okay. So you're no longer with them. And I load my family up and go to La Vida Mission. Okay, Levita Mission in lower part of Colorado. Uh, upper, well, it's just Four Corners area, but it's um, San Juan County in New Mexico. Okay, okay. Um, yeah, right there in that Four Corners yep. area. Where, it's on the, it. on the Navajo Reservation. It's on the checkerboard area there. Okay. And I was the head of maintenance there for almost five years. And, you know, I have so many miracle stories that I would love to share from my time there. Um. I, I will end with this one. So we were, I took a group of kids from there. It's a um, K through 12 school. And I took them to a prayer conference in Colorado. And while we were there, I, as, as we're going up, every time I took a trip with the kids, I would see multiple miracles. And this song kept playing through my head. There... I should have looked up the name of it now, but there will be, there will be miracles done in this city is the, the line in it. And I knew I wasn't in a city, but this line kept just rolling in my head. Like something is going to happen. Be looking. And I, I'm waiting for it. And I'm watching my kids. I brought up there so close. I'm like, okay, which one is God going to grab? And you know, so at one point I had to run up, um, run up to the room and get my my booklet for the the breakout sessions we were having down in the cafeteria. And as I on my way back down, there was a kid sitting in the in one of the stairways. There's some couches there, just chilling. And I'm I look at him and I don't know this guy, but I'm like, shouldn't you be in the breakout sessions? And you know, as a typical teenager concept. Oh, abs. Oh, really? I'm supposed to do something, be doing something. Right. Right. So he, he gets up and we walk, end up walking down the breezeway to the cafeteria and we start talking and I, I end up saying, you know, if you aren't for God, you're against God. And it pisses him off like no other. He uh, switch flips and he just goes psycho on me almost for a second. I start, 
I start backpedaling a little bit and I start praying, you know, Lord, give me the words to say. And as we continued talking and I continued leading him, he, I, I found out that he was, he was on a bullet train out of the church away from God. And I don't know that I completely stopped it, but I know God allowed me to use that time to give him something to think about. He, at the end of our conversation, I took, took my Bible that my dad had given me that I had been highlighting and I, I handed it over to him and I'm like, if I give this to you, will you read it? He's like, oh, I have lots of Bibles. I'm like, that's not what I ask. If I give this to you, you know, there are things in here highlighted and wrote that you need, you know, that you need or that are good or of benefit. And he he finally says, you know what, if you do, I, I absolutely will read my read the Bible. You know, I it wasn't my kids that God helped, but he allowed me to be his instrument in that time. And I can tell you intellectually, I should not have been able to keep up with this 18 year old, but through God's words using my mouth, I was saying things I didn't even completely understand. I told a part of my story that made no sense to me. And it's a part that I usually don't tell, but yet when I, I was, I was told to tell it. And so I did, and it grabbed his heart and it's like, Oh, well, that actually makes sense why this happened. I'm like, oh, well, that actually helps me understand why that happened. Right, right. So how how did things turn out with this kid? Well, I still don't know. Pray for Reef. Pray, pray for Reef. But, but he at least headed down a path with him. His, so his dad gave sent me the Bible I have now. And I'll, nice. be, I'll be sad when it comes time for me to give this one away. Oh, dude. Dude, I you know you know how I trash Bibles, <laughs> but I I do know that for me that's part of part of what he has led me to do is to prepare a Bible to give to others. That's great. That is very very good actually. A lot of people don't ever think that way. I I just mine start to fall, crumble in my hands. I'm they're all in my office right now, but they yeah they they don't survive forever with me. I don't know. I I beat them up. I have time for another quick story. Quick. Yeah, you have five. So I am bringing a group of the kids up to Casper for winter retreat, which is in February, President's Day weekend, which is great time to travel up the west slope of Colorado and into Wyoming. Yeah, for every blizzard. So leaving Rifle, um, the trailer I had with me that I was... um, bringing up to bring a truck that a friend up here had given the mission broken axle. So we limped it back to rifle and spent a few hours trying to figure out what I could do. End up leaving it at church and rifle. And we just abandoned it and went and headed North going up over the pass between rifle and Craig hit a nasty snowstorm. And I come up on this truck and a trailer that had slid off the road. And I I stop in I stop to see you know make sure they're okay if there's anything I can do to help and they're like well we got a truck coming to pull we got a tow truck coming heading up to bring us out but you know we got this 55 gallon drum that slid off the trailer could you help us get it back on I'm like oh sure not a problem you know okay so we get it over there and we go to pick it up and 
And there's three of us there, and it laughs at us. It does not budge. 55-gallon drums of... Of fracking fluid oh of some my. sort. Yeah, so that is probably roughly around 13 and a half pounds per gallon times 55. So I I quickly say, hey, can I pray? And the there was a Hispanic guy there, and he was, oh, absolutely. And then the other guy was your standard oil field roughneck right. that had no use for anyone that had anything to do with God. Right, right. And I, he, he, you know, and he doesn't say no. So I take the opportunity. Lord, you saw us try to lift this barrel. It, we can't do it ourselves. Would you help us? We reached down and set the barrel on the back of the trailer like it was nothing. That's awesome. I shook the guy's hand and I look forward to talking to him in heaven. Amen. That's great, man. That's a fantastic story. So, you know, you went from being raised in a Christian house. With good parents. It definitely, we can't blame parents for what you've done in life. There, there was a Jeff Foxworthy routine about this. I'm ready. He says, you know, I'm tired of everyone gets on the radio. My mama was bad. My daddy was bad. I'm, you know, or, you know, it's, it's all their fault. And he's like, I want to hear someone get on there and say, my mom was great. My daddy was great. I'm just a. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You're just an idiot. I get it. So, so, so that's me. That's my, you. my daddy was great. My mama was great. I'm just an idiot. Yeah. So, uh, so you went for so you know that can happen with any any pastor's kid, you know. That in fact, that's probably pretty common. So then the rest of the story goes is that it isn't that you didn't have a belief in God. It was that as you were trucking along, you just were not looking or depending on Him for anything, and you were trying to self serve. I was trying to live in the world. I was trying to to get the things that I thought looked interesting okay i i wanted to live the fun life right i wanted to be the prodigal son but end up better yeah how'd it go about like you did for the prodigal son about like it did for the prodigal son but you you definitely got to have your dad for several more years after that i did i lost him a couple years ago and that hurt oh yeah i it really hit me hard today for some reason yeah as as we're getting into this time of the year, this is a tough time for a lot of people. You start remembering just how 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 we all uh, kind of get away from them a little bit. But, you know, he would be very proud of what you do today. And like you said, your main ministry right now is the county jail. You've been going in there with me for how long now? Almost two years, hasn't it? Two years. Well, you tell me. I don't know. I've been going in there so long I can't remember. Um, but on the other end is that, um, you get great opportunities to take what would have been a, could have been a failed life. And you're able to take that and walk into a place and, uh, they can't say you haven't been where they've been because you probably wore the same colors they're wearing, or you're wearing the same outfit, the very same outfit they're wearing. That's why I always look at the bigger guys go, I probably wore that exact set of pants. You know, my... My dad, he was going through prostate cancer when I when I first got arrested, and God gave him another ten years. Yeah. And in that time, is where I came back to Christ. And I, he was actually he was at, he was the director of Levita Mission when I went down there, so I got to go work with him for five years. That's beautiful. And 
you know, if, if the oil field hadn't gone down, if my job hadn't been so horrible here, I wouldn't have been willing to leave. Right. You know, making some pretty good money at that shop, even though I was miserable, pretty good money. And I went down there and somehow survived on $800 a month. Yeah. Well, God had a plan for He did. And, but it was, I just, you know, you, you have a, a, um, king in the old Testament that asks for an extension on his life. Right. And it didn't end up well for him. No. And I don't, you know, maybe, you know, but God gave my dad an extension on life and it was probably because he wasn't the one asking for it. I think I was the one asking for it, even though I didn't, I don't know that I ever specifically asked for it. Right. But he needed also to reward him and see that you were not going to remain a knucklehead forever. Absolutely. You know, I, well, I don't know. I'm still kind of a knucklehead. Yeah, I, I ain't going to disagree with that. I was trying to talk you up. You got to let me go with that. So, Stan, thanks for joining me today. Thanks for having and, me. And uh, I truly, truly appreciate you in both aspects. One, being on the Barbarian Prophet, but also I appreciate the work that you're doing in the jail because I know your heart is truly in there. And, uh, you know, we got uh, you and Caleb and myself, we're all in there. And uh, me being a, a Lutheran and you being a Seventh-day Adventist and him being... Uh, um, Caleb being more of a, on a Pentecostal end of things is that uh, it shows that the church can work together and still focus on Jesus Christ and get people where they need to get. We absolutely have to. We we can, you know, I had a run in with a guy that was very religious. And because I didn't agree with his religion, I'm going to hell. Yeah, and, well, you know, it's we can't we don't need to have that. That mentality divide, no. does not get us there. You know, it's the word, Romans ten nine. If you if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that you know God raised Jesus from the dead, that you will be saved. And Jesus said, "The world will know you are my disciples by your love for one another." Man, we do. We all go to a different church, but we all still have the same focus. Absolutely. Yeah, and, and even in all those moments, I I mean, we've we've done quite well together as a collective. So. All right. Well, hey, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. And we'll talk to you guys next time on The Barbarian Prophet. For questions or comments, please email us at info at thebarbarianprophet.com. The Barbarian Prophet is a registered trademark of Barbarian Media Group. Listening to this podcast may cause excitability, euphoria, and overall sense of happiness and the realization that you're not alone. Discontinue use if reddened skin or a rash develops. Side effects may include random hugging, crying out loud, smiling while alone, and happy crying combined with snot bubble development. Do not use during church service. No animals were harmed in the making of this podcast. Are you actually still listening? Seriously, we have nothing more to say except for that one thing that was really, really, really important, but let's wait until the next show for that. Yeah, that one more thing we want to remind you. So you were born into a Christian household. You don't have to go out and get crazy and live on the outer edge of things. God's already done something in your life that was by giving you a complete miracle that most people never get the opportunity for. So don't forget to thank him. And remember, Jesus loves you, and I love you. And there's absolutely nothing you can do to stop us.